0: Yeah. I feel good. That's my James Brown right there. This is the first time I ever heard of a church where somebody came back to Jesus because of Molly Hatchet. Yeah. So anyway, um, hey, uh, hey, let's get this. Last week we launched our Summer Value Series, and we're calling it Tracks, um, where we're comparing something that Jesus talked a lot about to something that maybe we're a little bit more familiar with—railroad uh, tracks. And here's what I mean by this. If you weren't here last week, is that all of us are on a road or, or on track to go somewhere. And our past has brought us to where we are tonight and our future will take us someplace else. And there are times in our life, and some of us, it was last week and some of us right this moment where we kind of hit pause and we look around. And we, some of us have a panic attack because we, we kind of kind of have an aha moment where we go, um, this isn't the way I thought my life was going to turn out. This, this isn't how I thought it was going to be and this is not what I wanted. And, and we realize that unless some things change in our life, if our road, if our tracks keep going the way they're going, If our life keeps going the way it's going, if my future is just more of the same or worse, then my life is going to end up in a place I don't really want to go. Maybe even a train wreck. See, and most of the time that moment feels pretty bad unless it causes us, and hopefully this is the goal, to to stop and go, but I want something different. I don't want to end up there. I'm not talking about heaven and hell. I'm talking about in this life. I want something better. And that's where Jesus comes in. Because over and over as he walked around teaching people, he taught the same thing in different ways all, all the time. He said this, there's a better way. You can have a better life, an, an abundant life. I, I promise you, it's available to, to anybody, to, to everybody. Jesus promises that there's this better life if, if you'll just follow me. If you'll just go with me. And when Jesus says, listen, when I, when I say you know, a better life, I'm not saying if you follow me, your problems go away. They won't. He's not saying that if you follow me, you'll always have plenty of money. That's not Jesus. That's that guy in Texas. But that's not Jesus, okay? Sorry. Anyways, I'm not, I'm not sorry. But what he's saying is this. I'm not saying if, if you follow me and love me and have faith, you, know, you won't get sick anymore and the people in your life won't get sick. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a better life means this, that no matter what happens in your future, you can live with the assurance that, that God will always love you. And he knows what's best for you. And he'll keep every promise to to take care of you all along the way. And nobody is ruled out. Nobody's the exception. Nobody's excluded. This better life is available to anybody who's willing to follow him. What do you mean follow him? What's that mean? Well, it's kind of like railroad tracks. This is what we talked about last week. This is what we learned from Jesus last week. Jesus said this, just like I line my life up with with God the Father, meaning this, if, if God goes this way, I want to go that way. If God goes this way, I want to go this way. Just like railroad tracks, always parallel, never independent. Jesus says, that's how I run my life. If God says stuff like that, then I say stuff like that. If God wants that to happen in my life, I want that to happen in my life. If God says that's good, then I say it's good. If God says run, then I run as fast as I can. Then Jesus looks at us and says, you understand? Because if you follow me, that's what it looks like. If you hold to my teachings, if I teach you something and you not just believe it. I mean, a lot of people say they believe. I'm not talking about just believing. I'm talking about if you put it into practice. He says, then you'll discover truth and that truth will set you free. What do you mean free? Free to live, finally. Free to love the way people need to be loved and you want to love. Free to heal from stuff in our past. Free to forgive ourselves and other people. Free to have a better life. Jesus said it over and over. And around here we call that biblical authority. Biblical authority its our number one value around here at Flatirons. It's not... Just believing in God. Everybody says they believe in some version of God. It's not just about believing in God. It's not about just believing that God had a son named Jesus who died on a cross to pay for our sins and mistakes. We believe that, but it's not just about that. It's not just about believing that what Jesus taught was true and has the potential to lead us to a better life. That's not what this is about. It's about because we do believe that these things are true. Because we believe we must be willing to adjust our lives in God's direction and come under His authority. And then and only then can we experience real truth in our life. And then that truth will lead us to a better life. And if you are here last week, that's where we left off. I kind of threw out this challenge. So kind, of, kind of like this. Picture the most important area of your life. Rolling full steam down railroad tracks. Remember this? Your life's going full steam ahead. The most important, your family, your relationships, your your sexuality, your addictions, whatever. It is going full steam ahead. Now, run that out a few miles or a couple years. Where's it going? If nothing changes, if it's just more of the same, where does that end up? And are you okay with that? Or is it possible that God is teaching us that you need to make some adjustments in your life? Some some things need to change. You need to change course to make some better decisions now. Now that will make a big difference down the line where we end up later. So that's our first value around here, biblical authority. I need to keep my life lined up with what God says is true and good. And that's where we ended last week. But here's the question I want to kind of unpack tonight. What if part or all or big parts of your life um, have already jumped the tracks? All right, so we're talking about, you know, from now on. what, What if tonight... Parts of our lives are already a disaster. What, what, what if, if, if tonight words like, that part of my life is broken, lost, I feel guilty, I feel shame, I feel regret. What if tonight those are the words that describe our lives? And I don't know why I say if those do, because we all know, let's just be honest, we all have parts of our life. Described by those words. None of us have ever been able to line our life up perfectly with Jesus. And every time he said, let's go this way, we went that way. None of us. No one in this world, let alone in this room, has ever kept their lives on track. As a matter, as a matter of fact, say the only person who's ever lined his life perfectly up with what God said is right and true is Jesus. And then there's the rest of us. All of the rest of us have fallen short. Or in train language, we derailed our lives. Right? the Bible term for that is sin. It's sin. Uh, It it simply means God said, go right. And I said, no. God said, go left. And I didn't go left. God, God said, do this. And I said, I'm not going to do it. God told me what to do. And I told him to butt out of my life. I want to do my own thing. I think I know better than you. And I think I can get it on my own, God. And I ran my life without God. Right? The Bible says that the result, the, the payoff the, uh, of sin, the result of, of going off track and doing your own way, it's always the same. Living your life without God, the, the payment for that is, is death, is disaster. In other words, if you want tonight, maybe this is your goal, if you want to destroy the most important things and people and areas of your life, all you have to do is kick God out of them. That's, that's all you have to do. And, and, and eventually, not, not t- tomorrow... Not later this evening, but in time, every time, that part of your life will start to die. Won't it? It it seemed right at the time. But there's a way that seems right to us, but the end is disaster. What do you mean? Your relationships will start to die. Your marriage will die. Your relationship with your parents, with your kids will die. Your friendship will, will die. Your sexuality will die. Your health will die. And your faith, your relationship with God You'll wake up one day and realize, you know what? It fell apart. It died. And a lot of us, if we were honest, we would sit in here tonight and go, that's my story. Not only did I make some mistakes in my life that ended up a train wreck, but now I feel like there's big parts of my life, relationships in my life. Dead would be a good description. Right? And the truth is, the reality is, you're right. Due to some bad decisions, some really bad mistakes in our lives, my life, in my past, some of them are my fault, some of them are some other people's faults. There's some parts of my life that I would say are dead. Wouldn't you? Or barely hanging on. And that's bad enough, but on top of that, as I train wreck parts of my life, I realize I've wrecked some other people's lives as well. And that's the truth. But, and here's what we hinted at last week. Jesus didn't come just to teach us truth, not just to show us a better way. He also came to show us grace. What do you mean? To show us that it's not too late for anybody, that it's still possible, that, that there's a way to get kind of back on track. There's a way to get, to get your life back, to, to get another chance, maybe for the first time or maybe for the 50,000th time, no matter what track you've been on in the past, where your life has ended up in the past, or where you even are tonight. Everybody gets another chance. That's what I want to talk about tonight. How is that possible? If you have your Bible with you, we're going we're to look at probably the most quoted verse in the Bible. Last week we looked at the most misquoted verse in the Bible where, where people just take one sentence out of Jesus and apply it to things that Jesus didn't really have anything to do with. But this is probably the, the most famous, most quoted verse in the Bible. And the reason it's the most quoted verse in the Bible is that in one sentence, Jesus sums up everything. Everything. One sentence. If you're going, going, I don't even know what Jesus was about. In one sentence, Jesus says, this is why I'm here. This is what I have to offer. This is how you can get your life back. We're in John. All right, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All right, the third chapter. So you go, oh, I know this one. I know this one, All right. Let me, let me kind of set this up. Jesus has, has a late night meeting with this guy. It's a late night meeting because he doesn't want any of his friends to know he's hanging out with Jesus. Some of you. Snuck in here. Like, I hope no one recognizes me because I'll burst into flames. So, anyway, all right. So, so, so he's like, his name's Nicodemus, and he comes up to Jesus and he's like, okay, Jesus, how do you get a new life? How do you get your life back on track? All right. How do, if you've not been living, I've been listening to you, that is not my life. All right. How, how, how do I get, I get another chance in spite of everything in my past? And this is how Jesus responds. Look at this. Well, for God <laughs> so loved the world. Now, he's not talking about the earth. He's talking about people in the world. For God so loved us, the world, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be con- condemned, All right, but have eternal life. So he's answering right off the bat, how, how can I get my life back on track? And here's what Jesus says. All right Before we even get into that, God loves you. Before we get into the hows and all this kind of I need to tell you the why. God loves you tonight. He loves you now, Nicodemus. He loves you, fill in your name. He, he loves you, not later. Not, I, I'll love you if you promise to never, ever do this again. And if you promise to, to, to always do this. No, he loves you now. He meets you where you are. If you're in a really great place in your life, he loves you. If your life is a train wreck, disaster, it's in flames. He loves you and he meets you right there in the middle of your, of your mess. So, so that answers a, a question. It's kind of the question behind the question that a lot of us have. It goes like this. Even if I believe that God could help me, the question I have is, but would he? Or how about this? Why would God want to help me or someone like me? Because if I was God... I wouldn't help someone like me. You know why? I know me pretty well. And Jesus answers that. Um, God's better than you. What do you mean he's better? He He loves better than you love. He loves you better than you love you. He loves other people better than you're able to love. You love a lot. He loves better, and because of that, not only can he help you, he wants to. As a matter of fact, right, he's already done everything necessary to get your life back on track. What do you mean? Let's look back at that verse again, okay? It says this for God so loved, and for all you English majors out there, loved is in the the tense that's both past and present and future. It's not like someday or he used to, it's like he always has, and tonight he does. For God so loved you, the world, that he gave his one and only son. And right there, here's what we, we learned. You're not waiting on God to do anything. You're not waiting on God to, if he would just move my direction. I've been asking God for some help in my direction. You're not waiting on God to start helping you. He already started. He's already moved your way. what What do you mean? Well, a guy named Paul said it this way. These are my three favorite verses in the Bible. John 3, 16 is too, but these are my other ones. And here's why. Because when I heard this country preacher in Tennessee teach on this, These are the verses that led me back to God. A guy named Paul is teaching some people that lived in a little town called Rome, and they're trying to figure out, now, who does the forgiveness thing apply to? Who does he love and who does he not, all right? So in Romans chapter five, verse six, this is how Paul explains the whole who's in and who's not. He says this, you see, at just the right time, so God's timing is always perfect. So you go, when is this gonna happen? At just the right time. So so at just the right time, when we were what? Come on, kids. While we were still power, powerless, not after we got powerful. You know, not after we got better and now i you know I'm strong now. Now it's time. That's right. No, no. At just the right time, when I was still powerless, Christ died for the who? The ungodly, not the godly, not the good. Not the holy, not the church people, not, not the people that, you know, cleaned up their life. No, no, no. Let, let me translate it into the tracks language, okay? At just the right time, while you were still stuck, when our lives were still a disaster, a train wreck, that's when Jesus died for those of us who jumped the tracks. And the reason he died for those of us who jumped the tracks is because when you jump the tracks, You die. Something has to die. Something always dies when you sin. And Jesus volunteered to die for those or instead of those of us who derailed our lives. Just the right time. That's the right time. Isn't it? Look at this next verse. It gets better, right? Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. In other words, you could build a case for dying for somebody in your family. You're in a relationship. It's both ways, all right? For somebody that's good, you know, for, some, for a hero, for Mother Teresa, someone like that, you could build a case. I'd, lay, I'd die for someone like that. That is not what God's talking, or Paul's talking about here. He, he says, no, no, it's different. God's not talking about helping good people. They don't need any help. Well, they don't think they do. Well, who's he talking about? Look at this next verse. But God, and anytime you see the words but God, it means in a total different category. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this While we were, what? Still. Still still sinners. Still derailed. Still jacked up, screwed up, messed up. Anything else up that you want to fill in there? While we were still just screwed up. That's what you were thinking. I know, right, right? That's when Jesus died for us. What, What do you mean? Well, what's that mean? It means exactly what you think it means. God didn't wait for you to change your mind. God didn't wait for you to show up at church. God God didn't wait for you to stop doing anything or change anything or move in His direction before He did what you needed. No, He He did everything necessary a long time ago to be ready for the day, maybe this day, when you decided to move in His direction. God has been waiting on you a long time, a long time, waiting on me for what? To trust Him. To trust Him? What, what, what do you mean? We'll go back to John 3.16 again. For God so loved you, the world, us, all right, that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes, whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, die, but have eternal, better life. And that whoever, anyone, if you'll just believe Him, trust Him, lean your life against Him, Trust Him not just to say, I believe there's a Jesus and He's the Son of God, but trust Him enough to follow Him down the tracks of your life. He says, if you'll follow me, I'm telling you, you won't die. That part of your life won't die. And He's certainly talking about eternal punishment and hell and all that stuff, but He's also talking about this life, walking with Him now, following Him down the tracks of your life now. You can have a better life now if you'll just line your life up with Him. Now and eternally. And I know that sounds good, but... I also know the conversations we all have in our heads, right? Here's what some of us are sitting here right now going, I, I think that's true for a lot of people, For for most people. But I bet, I bet my case is different. See, I know me, and I know that God knows me, and God and I both know stuff I've done and stuff I'm thinking about doing and what I'm capable of doing. And I'll bet Jesus wasn't including me in that whoever believes in Him category. And if you're sitting here tonight thinking that probably didn't apply to you, I'm going to say this as, as gentle as possible. You're just wrong. You're, just, you're just, It's just not true. See, let me read one more statement, the next statement that gets overlooked a lot from Jesus, but this is verse 17. It says this. This is Jesus still talking. For God did not send His Son, Jesus, into the world to condemn you, He didn't send Jesus here to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. And Jesus is saying, God didn't send me, and I didn't show up to condemn you. I didn't come here to punish you and to hurt you. Listen, if I wanted to to ruin your life, all Jesus had to do was stay home. Right? All he had to do was nothing. See, if if God wants your life to end up in a disaster, I'll just personalize this. If God just wants me to end up in a disaster, all he has to do is leave me alone. And you give me enough time and enough space and I will destroy everything and everyone that's important in my life. Anybody else? I mean, that's me too. Jesus didn't come to condemn us or punish us or threaten us with, you better stop it or you'll go to hell. He didn't lay that card on people. He came to, this is what he says, I came to save you. And I know that sounds like a religious cliche, But Jesus said that over and over and over to explain why he's here. And that word save, you know, this part of the Bible is written in Greek originally. It's that Greek word we use a lot when we're talking about Afghanistan. It's that word sozo. And it means to rescue. If someone's about to fall over the edge of a cliff and someone reaches out and sozos and pulls them back from the edge of destruction, or they've already fallen over and they reach down and they pull them back up to safety, they were sozo. They, they, They were saved. It means to bring life to something that's dead or is about to die. It means to bring hope to a really hopeless situation. It means that no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter what anybody else has done to you, told you, or what you've told yourself, here's the truth. This is the good news. Ready? God does not hate you. He loves you. He loves you. And because of what Jesus did on a cross for you 2,000 years ago, if you'll trust Jesus with your life, lean against him and follow him down the tracks of your life. Your past will be forgiven as well as future mistakes and sins. And then from this point on, the spirit of Jesus lives inside of us and he begins to change us from the inside out and teaches us a better way to live. That's good news. See, last week we looked at our first value called the biblical authority. The picture is God's the left rail and we're the right rail and our goal, our only shot at having a better life is running parallel to him. That's a great picture, but this past weekend I was out in the lobby and I was having a conversation with a guy who, who's worked for the railroad like for 20 years. And he gave me this great picture. He says, you know, you have the left rail and the right rail, but do you know what pulls the whole thing together? You know what that's called? It's called a cross tie. You can't make this up, folks, all right? And the thing that holds the rails to the cross tie are spikes driven in with a hammer. Now, does that sound familiar? if God's the left rail and I'm the right rail the thing that connects us and holds us together and pulls us back together is the cross and that's our that's our number 2 value it's the, it's the heart of this place we call it relational intimacy relational like in a relationship and intimacy close because of what Jesus did for each one of us it's possible it's still possible to be reconnected back to God in an intimate relationship in spite of any and everything that I've ever done in my past or you've done in your past, anything that we're going to do in the future and we will God's going to keep on loving us and he wants to live intimately and relationally connected to us and your mistakes in the past and in the future will not change that now let me head off something that a lot of us are, right now we're sitting here doing the math going this is a good deal And this is also how a lot of conclusions that a lot of Christians have already jumped to, and it goes like this: Well, if God loves me, and Jesus died on a cross to forgive my past and future mistakes, why don't I just keep on doing what I'm doing? Because He's going to forgive me anyway. That's a good deal. That'd be like you know me going to Robin, going Robin, you remember you promised to love me for better or worse, rich or poor, all that. Remember that? So if I have an affair, you're good. Then there would be a long chain of words I can't say in church, followed by the word no, all right, right? I mean, let me just ask you a question. Be honest. If you believe in God, great. If you don't believe in God, if there is a God, let me ask you this question. Do you think God's stupid? Do you, do you think God's stupid? Do you, do you think he's in heaven tonight going, ah, oh, they found the loophole? They, they have found kind of the kink in the whole forgiveness thing. You know, they, I didn't see this coming at all. You guys, you know, go ahead and do what you want to do. Don't change. Just live however you want. You know, I'll, I'll be your cleanup boy. I'll follow you around and clean up your mess. I, I, right around the corner for me, there's this sign in someone's yard. If your dog poops, please scoop. That's kind of how we reduce God. Which sounds ridiculous if you say it out loud, but re- realistically. Isn't that how a lot of us are living our lives? I'll just live my life as crappy as I want. God will clean it up. It's His job. See, that's not faith. That's hypocrisy. That's not grace. It's, it's disgrace. Well, what's that mean? It means this grace, the, and by that I mean the promise that God loves you and is going to forgive everything. Grace is not permission to go on sinning any more than i bought a fire insurance policy so now i can throw matches all over my house but that's how a lot of us are living our lives grace is not permission to sin it's protection from the condemnation of when we do sin see god did not send jesus to give us grace because truth doesn't matter anymore he sent jesus because truth will always matter And truth leads to a better life. But the truth is, we will and we have all made mistakes. And grace is this gift that God gives to us to allow us to keep going. Without the fear of, I made a mistake and now God doesn't love me. We don't have to be afraid of that anymore. See, it's both. It's truth. Here's a true, better way to live your life. And it's grace. And you made a mistake. Or a hundred of them. But I still love you. And I don't condemn you when you fall down. Now, get up. Here we go again. Well, what's that look like? I want to give you one story out of, of the life of Jesus that really just, I think, typifies Jesus handing out both truth and grace. And there's just dozens of stories where Jesus does this, because every, everybody he ran into, this is what he gave them. But this is one of my favorites, all right? If you have your Bible again, we're in John chapter 8. If you have the, the Flatirons Bible, and there's free ones back there, all right? We're on page 743. And Let me kind of pick this up. Jesus is in Jerusalem, all right? Uh, Which is like the capital of the whole Jewish world, right? So so this is what's going on. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And if you go to Jerusalem now, there's a mountain outside of Jerusalem and it's covered with olive trees. So they had this great name called the Mount of Olives. They're very smart, okay? Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. At dawn... He appeared again in the temple courts. So there's this huge building in the middle of Jerusalem, all right? He goes to the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So just kind of picture this times about 100, okay? So Jesus has sat down because in this time the teachers sat down and you guys had to stand, which I think is good. But anyway, all right, so, so Jesus sits down to teach, and everybody's like, okay, teach us, all right? Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so these are like the religious snobby people, We know the Bible, and we know who's in, and we know, right? So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Now, time out. She's having a bad day. This may be the worst day ever, 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 ever. Because if you read this story in other parts of the Bible, it basically says that they broke the door down, pulled back the sheets, said, excuse me, sir, took her naked, screaming. I don't know why they didn't get him. The law says... But anyway, that's... What I mean. so they, pull, they walk down the aisle of church or temple or whatever. They bring her up on the stage and they sit her there, stand her there, naked for all to see. So this is a scenario. It's an awkward moment. I think you'd say. All right? Worst day of her life. So there she stands before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher... This is sarcasm, by the way. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, which is the Ten Commandments and in the whole book of Leviticus, if you ever want to Read something exciting, all right? So in the, in the law, Moses, like the head Jew, all right? Commanded us to stone such women. And if you read Leviticus, I think it's chapter 16. If a man or a woman is caught having sex with someone they're not married to, the law says take him outside the city, line him up, and everybody throws stones at him till, till they're dead. So here's the law. Moses told us we had to do this. Now, what do you say? This is a trick question, by the way, all right? If you read this, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. See, if Jesus said, you're right, stoner, you know what they'll say? You're mean. What a hateful person you are. You can't be good. If he says, don't stoner, then they're going like, see, he doesn't even follow the Bible. So this is a no win. He can't answer this question the right way. But Jesus, in a category all his own, all right? But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. All right? When they kept on questioning him, like, what are we going to do? What do you say? What do you say? He straightened up and he said to them, this is what Mike talked about in the the video, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So, if anybody here has never sinned, you go first. And the rest of you jump in, okay? At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones, the wiser ones, I would say, first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So, I'm not only going to answer your question. You're right. Legally, she sinned. I can show you the page number. This is what happens to people. Then he knelt down and he started to write in the dirt. And no one knows what he wrote. Here's my theory. He looked up at Bob and went, Hey, Bob, you did that Tuesday. That's all right. You know, and then he just worked this way. Remember that? I saw you, right, right? I can't prove that at all, so that may not be true, at all right. But, but, but here's the thing is, legally, they had the right to accuse this woman, to try her, find her guilty, take her outside the city, and kill her. But they do the math in their head. When Jesus says, if you're without sin, you go first. Here's, here's the conclusion they're all coming to individually. The older, wiser ones first, and then the younger, arrogant ones second. Not if you're young, you're arrogant, but a lot of you are. So here it is, all right? They did the math So she's a sinner and we kill sinners. When we're done with her, I'm next. And then you, and then you, and we'll just work our way through the crowd for everybody that sinned and we'll just do away with them. How about that? So they they make a good decision. They drop their stones and go home. And she's off the hook. He saved her, all right? Jesus isn't done. He goes on. Look at verse 10. So Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Yeah, where are all the people that are going to you know, judge you and condemn you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now you've got to look at that. Catch that? Where are they? Where are your accusers? No, no one here is qualified to accuse me then neither do I. Time out. There was one person in the crowd who, you want to get really technical, was totally qualified to to bash in her head with the first stone. And that would be, but he said, I'm not going to. I can. I have the right. It's actually part of my job description. If I want to, I'm just not going to do that. So, I'm not going to condemn you. But, I'm telling you, you have to stop You have to stop You have to stop living this way You can't sleep with him again You need to break off the relationship This is not what God wants for you I know it feels right right now I understand I know it feels right to you But in the end it leads to death So stop I love you I'm not going to condemn you for, you, for you for doing this All right? I'm not going to send you to hell for this That's grace But you have got to stop doing what you're doing that's truth. It's both. Jesus doesn't wink at her and go, yes, those guys are really hard on you. You know, and let's just be honest, okay? They're jerks and, you know, and of all the sins that a person can commit, you know, you didn't murder anybody and this one isn't that bad and, you know, they don't understand you. And I, I know, you know, and I think I, I can see the look in your eyes. I think you're in love and he promised to leave his wife and, and marry you and, and, you know, they just, I, I, I wish you wouldn't have sex with him yet, but, you know, kids will be kids. So, you know, just be careful. Because I'll forgive you. Go on. You got go have fun. That's how a lot of us approach Jesus. And that's not what he said. He says, listen, I love you and I forgive you. But this has got to stop. If you ever have any hope for a better life, you have to stop living like this. It's truth and it's grace. It's both. You can't pick. It's both. Now, in the next five minutes, I want to do application. Okay? This is pretty convicting. So let's, let's do just like last week. We're going to apply first individually to our own lives, and then we'll apply it to this place we call Earth. all right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick out the area of your life that you know, you don't have to pray about this, I just don't know. I know tonight this area of my life is off track. Got it? Let's move on, all right? Because you know. Right? I mean, you know there's something in my life that if I were to go face-to-face with God, He'd go, oh. oh, Let's talk about that. What is that? What's out of bounds? What's nowhere close to where God says is right and true and best for your life? You got it? Now, because of Jesus, it's totally forgivable. 100% forgivable. So Jesus is not saying, I'm going to condemn you for that. He loves you and he's ready and willing to forgive you. But he's also saying, it has to stop. Stop. I'm not telling you. It's not my job. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not God. But Isn't God telling you? This thing that's off the tracks, it has to stop. What is that for you? Well, and you're saying, I, I, know, I know exactly what God's telling me. I can't. I can't stop. I know. There's parts of my life I feel the same thing. But if Jesus really is living inside of us, and if He really is good, and He keeps every promise to give us help and grace and mercy and strength in a time of need... If that's true Then together with him You can You really can Some things have got to change To stop He loves you He forgives you He doesn't condemn you tonight But you know and God knows Some things have to change In your marriage In your addiction In your secrets In what you're doing behind your parents back what you're doing behind your kids back I mean, just fill in the blank. It has to change. And if, and if God is good, and you ask Him, He'll keep His promise to give us grace and strength and mercy and forgiveness. That's convicting enough. Let's go on to this other application, all right? What's the application for us as a church? I mean, if this is the way Jesus treated people, He spoke truth, you know, He, he paralleled His life, He never, he never strayed from, from the tracks of God's Word, If if God said it was good, Jesus said it was good. If if it was sin, then Jesus said it was sin. If it wasn't what God wanted for somebody's life, then then He honestly told people, this is not what God wants for your life. But He always did it in a very loving, gracious, compassionate way. Jesus has the right to condemn all of us. But He has never played that card yet. He met people where they were, as they were, and nothing in their life ever changed until they were convinced that he loved them and he accepted them. Now, if Jesus did that for us, and if he wants his church to represent him well on earth, then, Flatirons, we have to treat people the same way. What do you mean? We have to speak truth as God defines truth, not as Jim has an idea that feels truthful, or Scott has a new idea that feels truthful. No, no, no. We have to speak truth as God defines truth, but we also need to be accepting and welcoming and loving of everyone that has fallen short of that truth. And according to the Bible, that's everyone. Everyone. Because if we ever become a stone-throwing church, it's a matter of time till you or you or you or me jacks up our life right? Messes up our family, makes a mistake in our marriage or our relationships or with our kids or with our sexuality or with our bodies. It's a matter of time till we get another DUI, we get thrown in jail or we do something out of anger or passion. And the last thing I ever want for anybody to sit in an emergency room or a jail cell or an attorney's office or whatever that is to come to the conclusion, I can't go back to church ever again. That's the, the worst thing I can ever imagine. That's like saying, I made a mistake. I'll bet God doesn't want me anymore. And it's not true. He loves us. And while we were still sinners, still screwing up, He loves us. And if He does that for us, we have to be a place that does that for one another. So let's not back off the truth. Because it's inconvenient or hard, or it's just, people aren't going to hear it the right way, and it's not politically correct. Let's not back off the truth. But let's also not pick and choose, here are the five sins we're really going to go after. You know what they are, at least two or three of them, because every church in the world bashes them, right? We're not going to be that church that picks out five that we don't like, and we won't accept people that do those five, but then we have these other five that really aren't any big deal. How about this? No sin is acceptable to God, but all people are. Let's be a place like that. See, we're all in the same boat. We're all on the same train. We're totally dependent upon Jesus to forgive us and help us and change us. So let's make a deal. Scott's here. Scott, Scott and I, will, we promise, all right, we will do our very best to teach what Jesus said was true. And all of us are going to hear that truth. And there's going to be parts of it where we go, I do that well. I do that. I do that really well. And then there's parts of it. Where we're going to sit here and be really convicted that I'm way off on that. But here's the deal. If any of us are ever, ever, ever going to change, if any of us are ever going to connect back to God, to align ourselves with God, that's between you and God. Can we agree to this? As we're trying to connect back to God, nobody beats up anybody. Nobody throws stones at anybody. Nobody tries to beat God in somebody else's life. We simply say, here's what Jesus said is a better way to live your life. The two of you get together and you work it out. And this is a safe place to work out your stuff with God. We will not do it perfectly. We'll make mistakes. But if we try to do anything else but that, all we're going to do is be one more church that hurts people. Or worse yet, hurts people in the name of Jesus. And rather than being the reason that people bump back into Jesus because of a Molly Hatchet song or because their friend invited them, because their, their wife asked them 2,700 times and they finally came, because your friend cared enough about you to bring you here. Instead of being a place that people rediscover that God doesn't hate them and He loves them, we'll be one more roadblock. And I don't want to be that church. And I don't want to be that man. And that's going to take God's help. So let's stand up. I'm I'm going to close this out with prayer. Uh, we're We're going to do one more song. Luke's going to lead us in one more song. And it kind of talks about, you can't change your life by trying hard. Nobody else can change your life. If God's going to change us, it's from the inside out. Let's be that church. Okay, God, not one of us is qualified to judge anybody, point a finger at anybody, let alone throw stones at anybody and tell them they can't come here. Because if that's the case, it's going to be an empty room. This has to be the place where everybody is welcome. Everybody receives love and everybody receives grace and mercy. And there's no if in there. If this is true or if this happens or if you promise. No, no, no. If you show up, you're going to find grace and mercy and truth here. Because we want, Jesus, we want you to be here. And we want to be a place like that. But I know there's even individuals in this room right now saying, God, if that's true, If that deal really is true, then I do want to lean my life against you because I do not want more of the same. I don't want to end up in the same place again. And I I want a better life and I need help. And if we'll ask you right now, you'll move into our lives, you'll forgive all of our past, you'll protect all of our future, and you'll begin to change us from the inside out. That's the heartbeat of this place. Grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.